and we're going to look at Psalm 119. I'm going to start with verse 105. So Psalm 119 and verse 105. And um, one of the things that I, I love about Psalm 119 is it's all about David's love for God and his word. And one of the things that I love about David is that although he was born in the old covenant, he seemed to have a lot of new covenant revelation and understanding with his walk with God. He got to do things that he quite frankly shouldn't have been able to do in the Old Testament. Um, you know, like with the tabernacle of David, for example, if anyone knows what that is, where he took the Ark of the Covenant out of the Ark of the, of the, out of the tabernacle of Moses and put it on Mount Zion with a tent over it where people could see it and pay people praise and worship God because through the priesthood and stuff 24 hours a day for nearly 40 years and, and it's you know and it's a type and shadow of what that of the age to come and things and it's exciting so I thought we'd have a quick look through this psalm we'll just work our way through it and just look at some of the little gems that's in here so it starts with your word is a lamp to my feet now when you read the Bible, you've got to be really careful with it because you can miss things by assuming you know what's being spoken of here. So when it says your word is a lamp to my feet, we go, yep, that's the Bible, mate. Got it. <laughs> or is it? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. So we're talking about the word of the Lord, okay? So I come to Genesis 15, and it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, or Abraham, in a vision. Now, this is not what you think it says. This is not a prophetic word came to Abraham in a vision. This is the word that came to Abraham in a vision. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And the word of the Lord speaks to him and says, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, and I'm going to use the Hebrew here, O Adonai Elohim, so this word, he's calling him Adonai Elohim, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him this man shall not be your heir you shall sorry your very own son shall be your heir and he that's the word of the lord brought him outside and said look towards heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them then he said to him so shall your offspring be and it says here and in the hebrew and he believed jehovah and he counted it to him as righteousness that's literally what's going on here. So this, this word of the Lord that appeared to Abraham in the vision is not just a random prophetic word. This is none other than himself, God Almighty, in human flesh, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Woo! That gets me excited. Now when you start to see these things, you should reread the book of Jeremiah and stuff like that. It says, the word of the Lord appeared to Jeremiah and said... The word of the Lord spoke to Jeremiah and said. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said. And you think, hang on a minute, this is Jesus. And he's been there all along and we never even saw it. Hallelujah. So your word is a lamp. Why, Why is this? Oh, no, I haven't, I haven't finished yet. Sorry, I'm carrying on with the words. Now we go over to John chapter 1. 
Hallelujah. Glory be to God. You see, I want to walk around now, but I'm not going to sit down. See, why is, why is this important? Because in ancient Jewish theology, there was a, a theology called Memra theology. Okay. Now, now Memra theology is the Aramaic word for um, word. Okay, so there's different types of words for the word word. So the, uh, I'm just trying to think, uh, um, I can't quite remember off the top of my head. But anyway, the, he, the Greek version is the word logos. Okay, But if you go back into the Old Testament in the Hebrew, uh, where you've got devar, so the word is devar in the Hebrew, memra in the Aramaic, and logos in the Greek. Okay, And so now we come to the Gospel of John, and here he says, in the beginning was the word. In the Greek, it's the logos. But because we know the context of the word from the Old Testament, he's not referring to some weird Greek mystical thinking. He's talking about Jesus being the devar, the word of Hashem, the word of the Lord. Okay? Now, I appreciate some of you like, what? This is going straight over the top of me. Just stick with me for a minute, okay? So, in the beginning was the word. This is the same word that's a lamp unto my feet. This is the same word that came to Abraham in a vision. Hallelujah. This is the same word that appeared to Jeremiah. <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Because according to ancient Jewish theology, they believed that the Word of the Lord, it, it does things. They knew that the Word of the Lord was essentially God, but somehow distinct from him as well, in that he could do things. He, could, he says the Word of the Lord will run swiftly, as it says in the Scriptures. The Word of the Lord is the instigator of covenant, uh, and, and the Word of the Lord brings healing. And you start to look at this stuff and you go, and so what, what John is trying to teach the people who were Jewish at the time, he's saying, hey guys, you know about the word of the Lord that the Pharisees and the scribes are always talking about and pondering what it means? Well, I tell you its name. His name is Jesus. Because then it goes on to say, all things were made through him and without him, not anything, not anything was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. So Jesus is the light of the world. He's the lamp of God. He is the word of the Lord is a lamp. To my feet in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And King David had this revelation in Psalm 119. Just this little verse. The word of the Lord is a lamp unto my feet. And we're like just reading it go, yes, put it on the bumper sticker of our car. But not actually realising he's talking about Jesus. <laughs> he's talking about Jesus. I know some of you like, look at me, is he? Yes, because that's the revelation, the word of the Lord. Let's carry on. Let's go. You're like, just, you're like, just hang with me. Yeah? There was a man sent from God. We know all about it. It's about John the Baptist, etc. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was... Uh, made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And verse 14, and the word, the Devar Hashem, the word that appeared, the word of the Lord that appeared to Abraham, the word of the Lord is a lamp unto my feet, and the word became flesh and dwell among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth and so what john is saying hey guys the devar hashem this word of the lord that we've all grown up pondering what it is is none other than jesus in the flesh wow your word the word of the father is a lamp 
because he is the light of the world. It talks about in uh, Revelation about like him and his father will be a sun that lights up the world. You know, he is literally the light of the world. In the beginning, uh, God said, let there be light, which is the disclosure and the revelation of Christ into this realm. Hallelujah. Isn't it, isn't it just beautiful? I mean, it's... And, and, and this is, here it is here. Your word is a lamp. It, le- it light... It, because why is it, why is it a lamp to my feet? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Hallelujah. And he is the light of men. Your word is talking about, he's talking to the Father here. Your, your Father, your word, your Jesus is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, because as it says, um, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Hallelujah. Isn't it lovely? So he, he's leading us in those paths. And these are the paths of righteousness. These are the wellsprings of joy. This is the way of life. Walk ye in them. This is the way that God has ordained for us before the foundation of the earth. That we should walk in his precepts and his ordinances and his statutes. That we walk in the way of Christ. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Man. It's getting a bit loud here. (laughs) Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, the Hebrew says that the word of God is living and active. Now, if you read that section of scripture and you go to read on, you actually begin to figure out that this word of the Lord that's living and active is, again, Jesus. Hallelujah. The word is a lamp to my feet it's living and it's active and it, it's so precise that it can cut to the division of the spirit from the soul hallelujah because in old testament theology the spirit and the soul are interchangeable almost inseparable as one uh, so when it says in genesis that adam was a living soul a living nefesh as it says in hebrew so he was literally formed of flesh body and soul but the soul and the spirit are almost indivisible but the word of God who is Jesus can actually look at a man's heart and go right through his heart right into his spirit and understand the machinations of the heart from the truth of the spirit that is within that is the word of God it is living and it is active and it has a name and his name is Jesus your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, Jesus is the light in the darkness. We read in John how the darkness could not overpower, could not comprehend. And we must remember as well that light is an sorry, that darkness is an absence of light. So light, when there when there is no light, there is darkness, and darkness rules. But when light comes, the darkness must flee, because all darkness is an absence of the light. And you and me were children of darkness brought into his glorious light. So that now we are children of the kingdom of light, and therefore we are light in the darkness. And I'm encouraged by that because, you know, God said to Abraham, Hey, if there are just but ten righteous people left in Sodom, I will not destroy it. I think there's more than ten righteous people in Pergra, isn't there? There's more ten right... Sorry? Not sure. (laughs) Maybe one or two. You know, and, and there are lots of righteous people out there, and and we have the light of Christ in us. We have the Word of God living in us as well. 
You know, we really matter. Um, and I know I've said this a lot of times, but I'm going to keep saying it because to me it's really important. And that is, I remember reading in the paper when ISIS came into some country and they basically, all the Christians had to leave and flee. And what shocked me was what the news report said. It said, since the Christians left, there was a dearth in society, in music, culture, mm -hmm. art, medicine, education. And it really made me see very starkly and very clearly just how important we are, actually. We do make a difference. And we don't have to go around telling, you know, ramming it down everyone's throat all day long. We are, we are a light and a witness in a dark world by, by just being who we are in the places that God has placed us and just being an example and a, and a, and a witness. And, and it makes a difference. It really, really does. Verse 106. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. The, the Christian should be one that their heart longs for walking in God's ways like the deer longs and pants for water. It should be that deep desire where deep calls unto deep, where just everything within us is like, Lord, I want to live a righteous life. I want to live a holy life. I want to live a life that's just in love with you, consumed by you, that's devoted to you. I want to be like the Apostle Paul, who poured out his life as a drink offering. You know, we're only here for what, 70, 80, 90 years? I know some of you are thinking, uh-oh, right? But, but, but that's at best all we've got. So why not give our lives for him? Because you know what's going to happen after these 70, 90 years are up? We're spending a lot of time in eternity. But what we do today echoes into eternity. And therefore, I would rather live a life that's difficult for Jesus now than have a life of ease, <laughs> then get to glory and be like, oops. I, 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 I want to just, I want to, I want to lay up treasure in heaven right Amen. now. I want to I give my life for the cause of the gospel. I want, I want to give everything that I've got for Jesus. So I, I don't want to rust out for Jesus or wear out for Jesus. I just want to, you know, go all out for Jesus, you know. I just don't want to get all creaky and worn out for Jesus and they just put me away. I just want to live every day of my life for Jesus. That's, that's how I want to live. Because I'm living for the next age. I'm living for a better resurrection. I'm living for the, the millennial reign of Christ when he rules and reigns. And I, 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 want, I want my life to be like a talent that I don't just bury in the sand, but actually I've invested it and grown it. And you see, what did Jesus do to the man who had the many ta talents? He gave, gave him some more. Because the guy with the first talent, what did he accuse the master of? Oh, you reap where you don't, you don't sow. And all this nonsense. So, so I, just put, I just put your money in the ground. And so, but... But then he obviously told him, you wicked servant. But then he gave that money then to the one who already had. Why would he do that? Because he's investing. Because he's a good investment. Because he knows, well, if that guy has taken that bit that I gave him and he invested it for the kingdom of heaven, well, I'm going to give him some more. Hallelujah. Because he's going he's to invest it more and I'll entrust him with more. So whatever it is that you have, use it for the glory of God. Now, this doesn't mean... Full-time ministry, being a Billy Graham or an evangelist, or some of us are called to that, I guess, in Christendom. But it just means being faithful with what God has entrusted us to do, so that he will then be faithful to invest in us as well, more and more. It's really important. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. 
I remember many years ago when I first got saved, I, I really um, was, I was in such a good place with God and I come from witchcraft to Christ that I just didn't want to go back to the old ways. I didn't want to go back there. And so I made a covenant with God and uh, I said to him, Lord, I said, I, I would like to have the faith and, and, the, and the understanding and the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. You know, not, not aiming too high there at all, am I? And, uh, and I said, Lord, that's what I would like in Jesus' name. Uh, and I said, but the biggest thing I want of them all, as I, no matter what, I want you to make sure that I never leave you, that I never turn my back on you. And, uh, and we made, me and the Lord, we made a covenant with each other. You might think, well, that's a bit of a weird covenant. But actually, I've had people come up to me who don't know me, who give me a prophetic word. And God says, I remember the covenant that we made together and always refers to that covenant. God takes your word seriously. If you made a vow or a promise to God, you better watch it because uh, <laughs> he takes it seriously and so should we. And so, you know, I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I made an oath with my God and he made an oath with me and, uh, and he's helped me. Let me give you a, a, an, an example. There was one time where um, I was backsliding. This was a long time ago, obviously, not as a pastor because that wouldn't be good, would it? Uh, so I was, I was backsliding. And I, I got to a place, I, I'd left church, and I was really angry with God, and angry with life, and everything else. And i just come to a place where I was just like, you know what, I can't be doing this Christianity stuff, I'm so fed up with it, so frustrated with it. But really it was all about me, if I'm honest with you, and I couldn't get what I wanted, so that's like a spoiled child. But nevertheless, God in his graciousness did something to me that changed my life forever. He gave me a vision of being in hell for two seconds. Right, two seconds is all I was there for. But I saw a door slightly adjust, so I knew I wasn't abandoned there. And, and I was repenting of things that I have no conscious understanding what I was repenting of, you know, really deep stuff. And I was out of there. And I tell you what, I backpedaled so quickly. I was like, you know what, I don't care what mood I'm in. Jesus, I'm good. I'll just get over myself. Thank you, Jesus. And I just got on with my faith, got back into church, sorted my life out. And, but that is a grace of God. Some people go, oh, that was a bit harsh. That's actually what I needed. That was a grace of God to give me a kick out the backside and get your act together, son. You know, we haven't got time for this. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. So that, that verse 106 means something to me. And verse 107, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Hallelujah. Anyone feeling severely afflicted or gone through some tough times? Yeah, one or two of you have. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, well, I don't mean hopefully, but everybody in this room has gone through some difficult stuff in their life. But you see, the, the key to everything in our lives is our walk with God and the word of God. I am severely afflicted. Give me life. O Jehovah, according to your word, according to your Yeshua, according to your Jesus, the word, the Devar Hashem, the word which is a light to my feet, the word that came to Abraham in a vision, the word which is the word in the beginning and, and the word was with God and God is the word, all of this stuff, your word gives me life. That same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in my mortal bodies, giving me life. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I mean, how many times do I have to be raised from the dead to get that, that Jesus is at work in my mortal body, giving me life? Hallelujah. In every one of us, even though our outward man decays, our inner man is being renewed daily and going from one degree of glory to another, to another, to another. Bless his holy name. Hallelujah. So, the, and the word of God brings healing and brings health. And brings vitality as well. Hallelujah. 
I mean, it really does, doesn't it? How many here have, have, have witnessed just, just believing God's word and have witnessed either a miracle like that in someone else's life or their own? Yeah, you can put your hands up. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Phew. Because it works. And I was talking about this um, at Fairham a few weeks ago. You know, you know, in Ephesians 6, it talks about the, the, the sword of the Spirit is the word of the Lord or the word of God. And we always think, oh, that's the Bible. That's not what it says. Because in the Greek, it's not the word graphe, which is the written word where we get graffiti from. It's not the word logos, which is referring to this, but it's the word rhema. The rhema word is the announced, the spoken, and the revealed word. So the sword of the Spirit, yes, is the word of God, but you've got to speak it. You've got to use it. Put it in your mouth and speak it out there. And so, give me life, O Lord, according to your word. The word of God is living and active. Jeremiah 1.12 says the Spirit watches over his word to perform it. So if you fill your mouth with his word, then the Spirit is going to watch over that word to perform it in your life. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord, it says in the, in the Proverbs, brings healing to our bones. Amen. And it really does. My wife, I've told you this before, she had a bone disease. It's like, it's like arthritis, but in reverse, hypermobility. She just kept believing God. It took 20 years. She kept believing God, and she was up to a point where just even trying to go to sleep at night was agony for her. She just, every, every movement just was, was really excruciatingly painful. She just kept believing, and God kept saying, I'm going to heal you, I'm going to heal you. She just kept trusting in the word of the Lord. And then one day she went forward for communion and she touched the chalice. This liquid warmth just filled her whole body and instantly healed her. And she's fine now. Interestingly, when there's something or somebody dodgy comes near her, that pain comes back in her body. Wow. So she immediately like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> it's a good little radar. But there we go. So I, I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord. And teach me your rules. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Hopefully I'm not boring you. I just thought we'd just do a little teachy bit tonight. I'm supposed to be ranting and raving at you all day long. I'm a bit tired of that. Um, and this is such an important verse. One we know so well, but often I think we probably don't really give it that much thought in one sense as well. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Paul talks about in Romans that we once used our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, but now we're to use them as instruments of righteousness. But the word therefore instruments is actually weapons. Alright? So you wanna you and all I hear, we are weaponized. Okay? So when you behave yourself and live according to the word of God and love on people like Jesus would love, you are weaponized in the sense that you are causing damage to the kingdom of darkness. Because once you used your body, weaponized for the ways of darkness, but as Christians, when we do good deeds and we do things that God has told us to, we are weapons of righteousness that actually undo and destroy the works of darkness. Hallelujah. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Hallelujah. Ooh, that sounds painful, doesn't it? You ever got on an altar, put a knife through your chest, right? It's not, can't say most of us have done it, but that's what he's saying. Be, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This reminds me of the story of Abraham when he presents his son, except this time it's not his son, it's you and me. We are the ones that are to go onto the altar and to be sacrificed. Let's hope it's not a burnt offering, eh? Because that would be even more painful. So we are to be living sacrifices. In what way? Holy 
to live a life that's pleasing to God, which takes us back to Psalm 119. How I want to walk in your ways. I want to walk in your precepts and your statutes and in ordinances. For in them is sweetness and honey. And in them is the way of life everlasting. Hallelujah. Being holy and acceptable to God. Living in a manner that's pleasing to God. Which is your spiritual worship. Worship is not just about singing songs, although it is about singing songs, but it's taking that further. It's about letting your whole life being a living song for Jesus, where everything that you do is an act of adoration to God, an act of praise, an act of surrender, an act of submission, an act of love. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about all those wonderful things that you could do, but if you don't have love, well, it means nothing. Love is everything, you know? The love of God. And when we lay down our lives with that love that God has for us, and freely we've received it, therefore freely we should give it, it's in that place, brothers and sisters, that, oh, that's, that's such a sweet place, a place of sweet surrender. Reminds me of a nun once she came up to me because I was working with these nuns, and she said to me, you know, I want my life to be a living prayer. And that, that when I heard that, I was like, that for me is how I want my life to be, is that living, breathing prayer and being that living, breathing worship song for Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 109, I hold my life in my hand continually. Now, that's a weird thing to say, isn't it? But I do not forget your law. <clears throat> what does this mean? I hold my life in my hand continually. One of the things that I've noticed over the years as a Christian is that sometimes God gives individuals gifts beyond their level of maturity. Anyone seen that? Where people quite clearly are not ready for a gift like that, but God gives them the gift anyway. Anyone witness that? You guys have seen that? Everyone's just looking at me like, oh. <laughs> so why is that important? Because you see, God is the, it will give you these gifts because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. But his responsibility is not to get you mature in Christ. It's your responsibility to get yourself mature in Christ. So if you have a gift that's way beyond your experience, well, you better get yourself ready so that you can work with that. It's like God giving you, it's a bit like, like, um, when a, when a king is really a child, he's going to be king. Yeah. The, 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 the empire is his, he's got the crown, he's got the servants. But until he's ready, and he has a kingdom, he is the monarch to be. But until he has come to a place of maturity and growing and knows what it is to live and be like a king, and he comes of age, he can't be trusted. And so sometimes God gives you things, but it's actually, you've got your own life in your own hands. And it's up to us to think, okay, God's given me this gift, maybe a gift of evangelism, to, to go out and to the nations and see many people saved. But I know that back at home, my prayer life may not be so great. I know I've got some insecurity issues that I need to work through. Do you see what I'm saying? It's our responsibility. So it says here, I hold my life in my hands continually, but I do not forget your law. It's our responsibility to get ourselves mature in Christ. The Spirit will help us because his job is to make us like the image of Christ. But it's really up to us. Our life is in our own hands in the sense that we can choose to do that which is right for Christ or do that which is wrong. You and I have the power of death and life in the tongue. It's up to us. We have decisions to make every day. Do I want to walk Jesus' way or do I want to walk my way? Am I going to take up my cross daily 
Or am I just going to put it down for a few hours and have a bit of a flesh out? Anyone have a flesh out this week? Yeah, you, you might have, these hands all went up and back down then. Uh, yeah, I, I had, a, had a flesh out Saturday night. Oh, I had a really bad week. And then I think it was Saturday night. I thought, you know what? I'll just give myself two hours to have a flesh out about it. And I didn't go down well. Um, so, especially being married. So, and then Psalm 1, sorry, then verse 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. You know, we have an enemy that's out to trip us up. We have an enemy that's out to get us. Sometimes he will use people. A common attack that Satan uses is those that are closest to you to, to put the knife in the hardest. I mean, I mean, Jesus, one of his own disciples. And according to the Psalms, it says he was my best friend. Okay? So Judas was a very good close friend to Jesus. Now we often look at all the movies and you can see Jesus with his hair stuck up at the side so it looked like pointy horns, you know, and all the pictures of Judas and stained glass window. He just looks like this really suspicious bearded guy. But I don't think that's how it was at all. I think Judas was actually, uh, you know, he's obviously troubled. But I think him and Jesus really got on because the Psalms say, you were my best friend, but you betrayed me. And sometimes the enemy will, will trip, trip us up and lay a snare for us by those whom are closest to us. But you know the scriptures say, it says in Deuteronomy 28, I believe, when the enemy comes against us one way, he shall flee before us seven ways. But how do we counteract the snares of the Lord, of the, of the enemy? Even though sometimes, let's be honest, those snares can really genuinely hurt when you get stabbed in the back or stabbed in the heart. They hurt, right? There's no, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says that you are going to be protected from someone putting the sword in the back. And the Bible doesn't say that your enemy will never attack you because the Bible says you will be attacked. But... You know, so it's about the, the Lord will raise it. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the enemy, sorry, I can't remember, is it? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him, you know. And no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But we shall confute every tongue that rises against us in judgment for this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. But mark my words, they'll try it on nevertheless. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. I wrote a book a while back called The um, Ten Biblical Steps to Freedom. And I've, I noticed in my own life and through people that I've done ministry with over the years that Christians get themselves into a bit of a pickle because they're not actually walking in the things of the, of the Word of God but walking in the things of the world. And consequently, they open themselves up to a whole load of trouble. And just through these ten chapters, it teaches basic principles that if you live according to these ways then you can be set free from many of the afflictions that can come into your life. And, and through that book and through doing ministry with people, I see a lot of Christians get set free. But a lot of it is because do not stray from your precepts. So here's, here's a good one, right? The Bible says, do not give Satan a foothold. Okay? Meaning that he can get a foothold, oh Christian. All right, see, so he can do it. But how can he get a foothold in our lives? Through a fence. That's, that's the man that gets us every time, doesn't it? Someone says something, you're really offended by them. Anyone been offended lately? Yeah, yeah. In the Greek word, the word for offense in the Greek, in the Bible, is the Greek word scandalon. Now, a scandalon is a type of trap. And, and inside the trap is the scandalon, which is the baited part of the trap. So when something bites on that trap, the trap, the back comes down and the animal is caught. And that's what Satan does to us. He causes us to get scandalized. You bite down on the offense and then you're trapped and you've given Satan a foothold. This is why it's important 
that we learn to forgive people. This is why it's important that we walk in love and forgiveness to, to each other, even when we've been wronged. And, and even, don't get me wrong, right? I have been wronged by people, and man, I am justified in my anger. <laughs> right? We've all been there. Oh, I'm justified in my anger. I don't, you know, you just don't know what they did to me. Yeah, but that's not how this works. If you don't want to be snared by the enemy, you've got to walk in God's precepts. And that means you've got to do it Christ's way. When I minister to people, and people that have like, you know, some people have gone through abuse as children and stuff, and I have to say, you've got to forgive your abuser. Now, now listen, not so much for their benefit, but for your benefit. And when I explain that to them, they're they're like, because before they're like, I don't want to forgive them, they don't deserve it. But when I explain to them, no, this is a biblical principle. It's actually for your benefit that you do this. No, it's for my benefit. I'm like, yeah. Oh, I'll do it then. <laughs> okay, and then they start to get free of things. It's you know, and this is what this is. This scripture is teaching. You know, the enemy is out to lay snares for us, scandalons for us, but we do not stray from God's precepts because in His Word is the way of life and peace and joy. Because the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. Hallelujah. That's how God wants us to live. He doesn't want you to be bound up with bitterness and anger and offence from your past. He wants you to walk in peace. He wants you to walk in joy. I was preaching this morning from, uh, about how the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, you can't have joy in your life if you have a heart full of offense. Verse 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of your, my heart. They're my heritage. This book is the most precious book you will ever own in your life. I, I love it. I mean, I've seen footage of where underground churches in China um, get Bibles for the first time. And, and literally, they're like animals that haven't drank for like weeks. They just, oh, and they cry and they love it. And, I've, and, and it's become so precious to them when they couldn't have a Bible. They just had one page of the Bible. That's all they had. They would treat it like treasure. And they would read it and study it and meditate it and memorize it. And it would be there and they'd look after it so well because it was the word of God. And yet so often we, we treat it so casually as well. It's like, this is our heritage. You know, like I said, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Um, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment, the Lord will condemn. For this is the heritage of the saints. This is your heritage. This is, this is our our blueprint. This is our blessing. You know, Jesus went back to heaven and he gave us gave us his word gave us his word in the Old Testament when he decided to go back to heaven when he gave us the Torah and when he, Jesus you see Jesus came down you think Jesus didn't come down on the mountain oh yes he did because if you read where it says the Lord himself looked out of the out of the pillar of fire and the Lord himself looked out of the pillar of smoke and if you ever read it it says he's in there looking and watching and he's inside looking out and then there's another bit where it says about how the, the cloud brought salvation. And the Hebrew word there for salvation is Yeshua. So who's in the cloud? Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. I've completely lost what I'm talking about now. But anyway. Um, but I just, sorry. It, yes, heritage. And so then obviously Jesus gave the Torah on the Mount Sinai, etc. And, and it, says in, it says about how, how God communed with Moses face to face. Okay, who do you think that was? Jesus, because God, God the Father is spirit and he's invisible to us, so it couldn't have been him. It had to be Jesus. And then Jesus went back up into heaven again. And then many, many thousand years later, or I don't know, one and a half, one thousand eight hundred years later, 
Jesus came to another mountain. And there he preached the uh, sorry, Sermon on the Mount. That's right. There he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Completely different message this time. In one sense that the first one came with billowing clouds and fire and trembling and fear and dread. And this time he came meek and lowly and humble, preaching the most powerful, most dynamic, life-changing, earth-shattering, kingdom of God on earth message that could ever be given. And I didn't know this when I first got saved, and I just thought, God, that's a really long sermon, I'll skip that. Not realising what was in there. These testimonies, they're my heritage, they belong to me, they belong to you, they're yours. To change your life, to help you live the kingdom of God on earth, because the kingdom of God is not here, it's not there, but it's within us, hallelujah. It's within us. And so to help us manifest that kingdom in the outside world, it's like, here is the path Walk ye in it. Glory be to God. And for they are a joy to my heart. The joy of every believer should be, Jesus, I love your word. I love it so much. I want to meditate in your word continually. If I have the time, I want to meditate in your word continually. I love your word, Lord Jesus. I love your word so much. You see, your relationship with the Bible is almost in parallel to your relationship with the Word. Now, let me explain for a minute, because some people might say, well, I, I have problems reading the Bible because I have a disability, I can't read it. Well, listen to it. You've got loads of apps on your phones today. But the point is, whether you hear it orally or whether you read it, doesn't matter, but you should have a relationship with the Word of God. And your relationship with the Word the graphe, the written word, will also reflect and mirror your, your relationship with the word who breathed it out. Now, all scripture is God-breathed, theopneustos, out-breathed from God, hallelujah. I'm sorry if I'm boring some of you, I'm just having a moment here, just let me waffle on, I'm nearly done. They are a joy to my heart. And Psalm, and then verse 112, I incline my heart to perform your statues, statutes, not statues, statutes, forever to the end. I incline my heart. I, I give direction to my heart. I make sure that my life, you see, the Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. So I'm going to incline my heart. I'm going to, because the heart is, is the soul and the spirit. The soul is the, is the will, the emotions, the intellect. And so therefore, I'm going to make sure that I incline my will, my emotions, my intellect to the things of the word of God. I'm going to incline my life to him. I'm going to incline my life to walk in his ways and love his ways. I'm going to rise up early in the morning and dwell on his, on his precepts. And when I lie down at night, they will be my closing thoughts and they will be my waking thoughts. I shall praise my God seven times a day, as it says in the Psalms. Hallelujah. That's why I use, I've got over there, a big red, fat red, red prayer book. I actually pray seven times a day, just like David did in the Psalms. I incline my heart, not just to listen, because, you see, he who listens to the word of God but does not put it into action, yeah, is what? Double ways, double mind. It says, you know, we've got to be not just hearers of the word, doers of the word, lest you deceive yourself. There's a lot of deception in the church today, isn't there? And I wonder why, and I think probably, it's because we do a lot of hearing but not a lot of doing. Because if you are not a doer of the word, you will deceive yourself. So we've got to listen. 
to the word, but incline our heart to perform it. An inclined heart is like, you know, they say love is a verb. Faith is a verb. Inclining your heart is a, is a, is a verb. It's a doing thing. You've got to do something. There's an onus upon you. We can't just sit back with a straw and a pina colada on a deck chair. Just like, hey, Jesus, grace has got it covered, man. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Beam me up when you're ready. Hallelujah. That's not how it's to be. It's, we live a life where you and I have got to suffer. Did you know that? We have to suffer. Because it's in the place of suffering that God can really work in our heart. There's loads of scriptures in the New Testament where Paul actually says it. And it's known in older church settings as the doctrine of suffering. We don't really, Pentecostal churches, oh, we don't want to teach that. Oh, it's not happening. But the doctrine of suffering. You see, the crucible of suffering is the key to so many things. If, if you want to have more of God's anointing in your life, then you've got to go through some stuff. If you want to have more of God's revelation in your life, then you've got to go through some stuff. Christ hasn't lived, called us to live an easy life. And it's only those that lay down their life that receive the greatest of treasures. This is the whole thing about the kingdom of God. He who, he who gives up everything for me shall gain everything, but he who tries to gain everything will lose all that he has. If you want the world, give up everything. Be a slave for Christ. Be, come into the crucible of suffering where you have to say no to yourself. No to yourself. Incline your heart to his ways. Walk in his righteousness. Walk in his footsteps. Walk in his precepts. Oh Jesus, how we just want to walk in your ways. We want to tread the path that you trod, Lord Jesus. You know, so many of us want to see the healings and the miracles, but we're not prepared to walk in the footsteps that Jesus trod in to get those healings and the miracles. Because you see, when he was baptized by John, he had no signs and wonders following him until he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and tested for 40 days and 40 nights. And then, according to the Gospel of Luke, he said he came back in the power of the Spirit of God. I wonder why the church is powerless these days. She's not prepared to go through the times of testing, not prepared to pay the price for walking in the things of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants to use you in a very dynamic way. Your testimony is very powerful. And God, I think God's going to use you in evangelism in a very dynamic way. But I believe he wants to encourage you with this. It's a bit of a double-edged sword is that through the difficulties that you will go through in doing that, and sometimes suffering for it, because you know what kind of offence you will create with your testimony, but that will be the key to the signs and the wonders and the miracles that come about, like healings and stuff. So the more that you be brave and be strong, for the Lord your God is with you, and walk in those things, and do not fear the repercussions of the enemy but actually embrace it knowing that embracing that which is meant to cause you harm will be the very thing that will make you stronger in him and allow his power to flow through you more powerful hallelujah i incline my heart to perform your statues forever to the end the end amen, amen.